This episode is sponsored by Paleo Valley. Paleo Valley's meat sticks have been a lifesaver during this hot summer. Since they're shelf stable, I always have three Paleo Valley meat sticks in my bag at all times. It's also been perfect for my boys' lunch boxes. I love Paleo Valley's grass finished beef sticks and pasture raised turkey sticks because they support US family farmers that focus on regenerative agriculture. These meat sticks are from animals that have never been fed grains, soy, corn, or GMOs and have never been given antibiotics. The spices in these meat sticks are also 100% organic. The sticks come in five different flavors, and my favorite is the original beef stick, and my boys love the teriyaki beef sticks and the original pasture raised turkey stick. Paleo Valley's meat sticks are a perfect snack and, frankly, a great value without skimping on quality. Each stick is about $2 with our discount code, and it comes in a 10 pack bag. Make sure to support this podcast and head over to paleovalley.comslash CATG and use code CATG to get 15% off your first order. Thanks for listening and supporting the Cutting Against the Grain podcast. This episode is sponsored by Carnivore Cure. Carnivore Cure is a book, a work in progress plant database, and in the future, an intense group program. Carnivore Cure is meat based nutrition and the ultimate elimination diet. The Carnivore Cure book helps to break down science and provides a step by step elimination diet protocol. It also provides extensive nutritional information and support for a meat based diet. Carnivore Cure is rooted in evidence based nutrition with over 600 citations and over 250 colored graphics and tables. If you need assurance that a meat based diet is ideal, or if you need more in depth support to guide you, then this book is for you. The colored informationals and nutrition facts will make this book a reference for years to come. Make sure to get your copy on Amazon or at www.carnivorecure.com. Thanks for listening, and let's get back to the show. Laura and I are just going to be talking really candid. This is what this podcast is all about. It's, it's one thing to say, I want to eat something else that's not meat. It's a whole other thing to say, you need to eat something else that's not meat. If you notice that you're Jumping from diet to diet. At a certain point, you have to wonder the only common denominator is me. Get outside, go for a walk, get some vitamin D, breathe some fresh air,、uh, and, and stay happy and healthy and, and take care of yourselves. Let's just have some real talk. <laughs> Welcome to the Cutting Against the Grain podcast. Hey guys, this is Judy Cho, and welcome again to the Cutting Against the Grain podcast. Today, this is a two part series, and Laura and I are interviewing each other to basically get to know a different side of us that you may not have heard on different interviews. You can check out the other podcast where Laura directly interviews me, but in this podcast, we are going to get to know Laura in areas that she may not have talked about in other podcasts that she has been featured on. In the show notes, you can find some links to interviews so you can get to know us a little bit more, especially in the meat based world. So, Laura, hello. Hi. Hi, Judy. Hello again. So, let's, let's just get into it.、Um, you know, I just want people to get to know you and get to know maybe a little bit more about you than other than the meat aspect, but just personally about who you are. You know, like one question I always wondered、um, in general with influencers are why are you sharing? <laughs> That is a really good question. Like, why do I talk to my phone randomly、uh, throughout the day and take a lot of pictures of my food? I, I was a theater major in college. 
I think like goes all the way back to as a child. I always was putting on a show um, and had a passion for that. I mean, like as young as like really younger elementary school, I was in theater and shows and um, went, ended up going to college thinking I was going to be a famous actress and majored in acting, which is a really expensive, useless four-year degree. Um, I moved to Chicago when I graduated thinking again, I was going to be this famous actress and worked at the comedy clubs in Chicago and um, studied improv Olympic and thought I was going to be on Saturday night live and kind of all of those things. I, you know, then I realized you have to get a real job. So I got a real job and a corporate job and life happened. I got married. I had kids and you kind of lose that along the way, um, trying to find a job with benefits. So I felt like I, I did feel like I kind of lost a part of myself with that or this outlet that I had like a creative outlet. Um, and then like randomly, some of my work friends were on Snapchat. And so we all started just like Snapchatting funny things. And I have, I kind of just started doing the same thing that I do now on Instagram, but it was all through Snapchat. And there was like six of my friends that watched and we would share funny videos together. Um, but I was never really somebody who did a lot of posting on Facebook even, or I had never even used an Instagram account hardly for years and years. And then I started sharing you know, I had found carnivore, I lost all this weight and I started sharing things on, on social media about that. And things kind of just blew up and kind of one thing led to another. And I was like, accidentally an accidental influencer, I guess I, I call it. But in some ways it's, this has been a really fun outlet for me from a creative standpoint. I almost feel like it is me and I'm very, I try very hard to make sure I represent my real life and my ups and my downs and, and those things. But in a lot of ways, it is that outlet for that creative side that I have always had since I was a kid or my passion that I had in college. And those kind of my background has always been in kind of sharing and putting on a little show. And so in, in a lot of ways, this is fun for me. I love doing the little funny videos and showing people highlights. Um, that was kind of how it started, I guess, and why I enjoy it and why I keep it up. And then if anything, it keeps me accountable. There is definitely this weird element of, girl, you better not gain a bunch of weight or go <laughs> off track and have a binge. Your face is going to break out and everybody's going to know. And I maybe that's not a good thing or maybe it's not a healthy mental thing, but I do appreciate that quite a bit where it, it keeps me on track and keeps me accountable because I feel like I need to keep it together a little bit, at least to give people a little, I don't always, but I feel like I need to try to do that to give people some hope. Hopefully community is used for accountability. And so if you, if you get support from other people, when you feel like you're having a hard time, well, a lot of people get support from you when they're having hard times or like, well, how come I'm still struggling eating carnivore, right? And then they'll see yeah. you and your stories. And so those are beneficial. So that's where having the right community is super important. And I don't think there's anything wrong with what you're saying. I think that's really good. And that also makes sense why you have stories that are randomly funny and just, you know, because I always would watch it. And I'm like, well, wow, Laura's pretty funny. Um, I mean, granted, I don't watch a ton of stories, but when I do watch it, it totally makes sense. So do you feel like you would ever go back to that? Like if you had the opportunity to like go on SNL, would you do it? I mean, obviously, I guess most people would, but like say that that became your career trajectory. I don't know. I mean, it feels it's such a huge leap. It's like so far to think about that you almost can't even like think that it's a reality. Like maybe I'm not that much of a dreamer or whatever. Like I'm much more practical now, but you know, it just doesn't seem like 
uh, something that I could ever jump fully into. The, we're a single income family. Like I work a corporate job and this is kind of like a little side thing for us as a family, but, um, or more of a hobby, but it's definitely, I can't see myself like quitting my job and doing this full time. Uh, I think that seems super far into the future. Also, I, I'm very fulfilled by working. I always thought I wanted to be a stay at home mom. And then I had kids. That's the joke, right? I always thought I wanted to be a stay at home mom that I had kids, which makes me sound like a terrible person. But obviously I love my children more than anything. And, but it, I do get a lot of fulfillment uh, from working and I really enjoy my career and having that part of me. And so I, I don't see me ever giving maybe not this intensity of the job that I have, but I just don't ever see myself giving that up completely. But I mean, if, you know, producers out there, Steven Spielberg, you know, call me. (laughs) So, you know, kind of going off this, uh, where do you see yourself in 20 years? Oh man. Okay. First of all, math, I got to do some math. How old am I going to be in 20 years? Um, You know, that is, I would hope that I, you know, I'm a high powered corporate executive. Um, and really more than anything, I want happy kids and I want a healthy life. And I would hope that somehow I've found some piece of this roller coaster, emotional eating weight. Like, I hope I can say like, wow, I've spent the last 20 years, like literally not thinking about it. Or like, I hope I can find that cruise control, I guess maybe is the term. Like, I still feel like I'm gripping my hands tightly to the steering wheel to keep myself on the road of keeping my crap together. And so I would like to just like feel that tension in my shoulders relax at some point of like every day being focused on what I'm eating and, and how I'm going about that. Um, I would, you know, by then my kids will be grown. So I hope I'm a, maybe not quite a grandma yet, but close to it. Right. I hope I have healthy kids and more than anything, I hope I have healthy kids who have a healthy relationship with food uh, and can skip some of the stress and struggles and, and ups and downs that I've had to go through with that. It's yeah. really hard to know if like the focus that we try to put on it or don't put on it now is helping them or hurting them for their future. Like all I can hope is that I'm setting them up for that healthier relationship. However, I mean, who knows? Like you don't know until you're in the future. That's why parenting is so hard because you can't yeah. see Every, everybody has great intentions and everything that we do is us trying to give our kids the best lives. But sometimes you just don't know if you're going in the wrong direction or not. Yeah, no, that is definitely one of my fears too. But, you know, I think the thing is with everything you try and all the other kind of values in life you bring to your kids, I just don't see them just focusing on food and things like that. So um, I, I think you are equipping them and right. Like a lot of parenting is not, there's nothing with certainty. Right. So, but I think you're doing a great job. So, um, okay. So personality tests, have you ever taken a personality test? Like the Myers-Briggs, um, the Enneagram, I can't think of anything else, but do you know what I you have, are? So I have taken them. I wish I could sit, rattle off my Enneagram letters for you because I know that's key and it explains a lot. All I know is they hit me to a T and I don't remember them off the top of my head. I am uh, an Enneagram three, which is called the successful achiever, which is pretty spot on for me. Right. So the phrases that they use for that are like, if at first you don't succeed, try, try again. Or basically they're like super driven, competitive, 
crazy people. No, take, I mean, like it, <laughs> when it talks about what your biggest fears are, it's like your fear of being a failure, fear of being worthless, fear of being like unsuccessful or like those all hit me to a T. And I think that's really comes out in my professional career. Like being good at my job is like the core driving factor of everything that I do. Um, and I think that's, I just have to be good at my job. I have to be supportive to my peers. I have to be a good, I want my people who work for me to like appreciate me as a manager and the, how much I push them or whatever. But like, I'm not somebody who's motivated by like money or fun or I don't know. I just need pushing, I guess. And that really comes out. So it, I love to be the one that's like building a solid team, right? That's what I try to do is like put people together and help everybody build a team together and work towards a common goal. So I think that's great. That personality test also says like at your worst, they can be attention seeking, (laughs) uh, self-promoting, pretentious. Like those are probably characteristics that I have to be careful of as well, that I'm uh, overly competitive. Those are things that, that definitely come out from me as well. That's interesting. I met another influencer and that person was also a three. And I don't know mm. much about the Enneagram. I know what my numbers are, but I wonder if there's many people in the social media space that does well that is actually a three because it makes sense, right? You're driving, you're like driven to do well. So moving on from the personality test, let's kind of go back to some of your childhood. Um, what would you say is one of your favorite memories when you're little and why? Um. Like the most random thing, and I'm sorry, but I'm really like, I, 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 I don't know how to say this too, and it sounds really awkward, but I actually don't have a lot of childhood memories, and I don't know, like I always thought that was normal for people, but then the, um, I get like talk to my mom about that, and like it gets her so upset that when I just talk about like I really just don't remember my childhood, but like right around puberty my, this is a really terrible answer to your question, but right around, like when I was 11, um, my brother died. And when I was 15, my parents got divorced and in kind of like a big scandalous way. And like, it was a big, a lot of trauma. And so I, I don't know why, I don't know if I'm just somebody that has a terrible memory, but when I think about my childhood, I really don't remember a lot. And I, I remember stories, but what I don't know is if I'm remembering the actual event or if I'm remembering like us telling those same stories. Like I remember the stories that we tell and the common stories of like funny things that I did when I was a kid, but I don't remember if I'm just know if I just know those things because of the fact that we've told those stories so many times. But like when I really truly think like, what's your earliest memory? Like I remember stories that we've told about me when I was a kid, but I truly don't look back on those things and can't really remember a lot about them. And so I don't know, thinking about that as an adult, it's like you wonder if you push those aside because of like hard things that you went through or they're too painful or whatever it is, or if it's just that I am somebody that has a really bad long-term memory. I don't know. Because it could be both. Um, There's definitely bits of where you know, if people go through trauma, the way that your body protects yourself is by sometimes trying to shut out memories. And so, you know, there's a way of just not remembering so that you don't have to go through the, um, the trauma. But 
um, sometimes it could be beneficial to kind of try to figure out and revisit and do that work. Um, but some other people, like I know somebody that literally same thing, so does not remember anything. Now, I don't know if she had trauma in the past, but it could just be also that there's a little bit of a, you know, you just kind of have a bad memory. <laughs> so that's what I have a really hard time with that sometimes because I was 11 when my brother died. And when looking back, I, I, I grieve for him now in a way that I didn't as a child, obviously, like as mm-hmm. a mother and as somebody who would have had my kids would have you know, he would probably have kids and that would be my kids' cousins. Like there's a whole different level of, of grief there. But when I look back of like remembering playing with him or those moments with us together as a kid, like I just, it's hard for me to, it's just to know if that's a memory or if again, that's the retelling of those things. And so that's something I like feel a lot of shame in sometimes or feel a lot of, I don't know if it's guilt or just grief kind of all of those things kind of wrapped up into one where I don't know kind of where those memories lie or what, how that turned into me, I guess. I don't know. Yeah, no, I can understand that. I mean, sometimes I look at old pictures and then I think, yeah, I remember that, but I don't know if it's because someone showed me the picture and told me the story. So I I can see that totally. Um, But I think what's important is that you have the memories at least. um, And then you can remember your brother and the experiences I didn't realize he passed away when you were so young. I knew that, you know, he passed away, but yeah. Okay. So let's move on to what is one of your most favorite memories with Chris? I mean, most of those (laughs) revolve eating. Chris and I met in our first, you know, five years or so together. We just were fat and happy and really living large in a lot of ways. We, you know, combined weight and then also just living up. I mean, my first birthday with Chris, Chris made me this homemade like three tiered cake and decorated it and got a piping bag and like made all this stuff from scratch. He used to, I'm not even going to describe everything, but we used to just make these crazy elaborate four course meals together and do all these things. And then once we had kids, we'd, you know, cook a big dinner together and then put the kids to bed and binge out on the couch and TV and food. And we just always, everything kind of revolved around food together. And so that was a big transition for us. Once we quit all that, how do we, how, how do we enjoy each other? And we did spend some time like figuring out like, okay, what do we do with ourselves now together and making memories? That was so much of our relationship before. And so it has turned into still a big part of our relationship, but that's why we've bonded so much over the carnivore and learning and health and like some of social media that we do. And that's kind of been a bonding thing for us as well. But I think just everything I think about, whether it's just everything revolves around food and then now just watching him as a dad, like that's not necessarily a memory, but that's probably just my favorite thing about him in general is just watching what an awesome dad he is and how amazing he is with with taking care of all of us. I mean, he keeps everybody around here sane and happy and fed and uh, healthy. And, and that's a huge burden that he takes on and responsibility that he takes. And he's just so good at it. So I appreciate that so much about him. Did you find carnivore? Did he find carnivore or did you guys find it together? He found it first, I guess we had started keto together and we're always starting some kind of diet together, but then he heard, Sean Baker on Joe Rogan. Well, we were both um, Jordan Peterson fans. And so then we had heard Jordan Peterson on Sean, on Joe Rogan, which then turned into Sean Baker on Joe Rogan. And then he heard Michaela. And then that kind of led us down this rabbit hole. 
of everything. So um, he really had found it first and started probably, a, I mean, I we were both kind of keto together, but then he started the carnivore a few weeks or a month or so before I did. So let's talk a little bit about your carnivore background. What have you healed with carnivore? I would say weight loss, um, but I wouldn't, to be completely honest, wouldn't contribute that to just like carnivore. Like it's not like I just lost all my weight doing carnivore openly, or I don't know if you'd say unrestricted carnivore. Um, I had to kind of combine a lot of things. So I could have lost weight doing anything. I was always good at losing weight, but not so good at keeping it off. And so that to me is the part that carnivore has brought the most healing from is being able to keep off the weight. Um, that's why I struggled last year too, but I also mainly like it helps me to separate myself from food. There's less trigger foods for me in carnivore. There's less spirals that I can fall into. I'm more satisfied because I can eat steak. So there's, you know, those are the benefits for me from the carnivore element. The carnivore plus fasting has been where my weight loss magic has really happened and where I'm the healthiest and happiest. Also with carnivore, I've talked a lot. I made a really awkward video about, you know, hemorrhoids and digestive issues. And so that's been a huge healing for me. I had a gallbladder, gallstones and some gallbladder issues that were happening right before I switched over to carnivore. Even on keto, I was dealing with those gallbladder issues and that all went away once I switched to carnivore. So a few things like that, but I would just say more than anything, I, I feel a lot of mental freedom, being able to eat meat, being able to eat a lot being satisfied. And then more than anything, just enjoying my food. Um, I don't really enjoy eating calorie restrictive. You're, you know, you're constantly hungry and you're not really in enjoying what you're eating. And so that's been the biggest thing for me is just, that's part of the reason why I choose to buy ribeyes and eat ribeyes all the time, even though that is more expensive, that's worth sacrificing for me in other ways to make sure that I can eat ribeyes all the time, because that's what makes me the happiest, which it makes this easiest for me to stick to. If I had to eat plain ground beef all the time, I probably wouldn't stick to this very well. Yeah, that's interesting. So a lot of my clients will eat just ground beef because it's economical. And I tell them it's not enough nutrients. Um, you want to diversify. And they always will say, well, I like it best and it's economical. But I really think that if you just eat ground beef and only ground beef for many, many years, I think that you will, one, not maybe have nutritional deficiencies, but also just that you're not going to be as happy as like you're saying as eating a ribeye. Like mentally satisfying. It's, it's not as mentally satisfying for me, but also there's just not as much fat in it. People think eating like 70, 30 ground beef is fatty and it's not, you're draining out most of that. And even 70, 30 ground beef is not really that fatty compared to a, a really good fatty ribeye. So I'm economical with my eating bougie ribeyes, but I buy them on sale. I stock up. I buy them if nowhere else is on sale. I get them from Walmart. Um, I do fasting, so that cuts down in other ways. But to me, it's worth it more than anything. I, you know, I just spend more money on ice cream than I do on steaks now. Yeah, no, no, I totally agree. So what was so shocking for me was I was making a table in carnivore cure. And I used to think the 70-30 was just as fatty as ribeye. Um, and then I realized when we're, so the the table has like basically all the cooked weight and it's the same if you drain the fat as if it's 90, 10. So like a yeah. lot of, um, and then I heard that a lot of, uh, bodybuilders, um, to save money since they eat a ton of this, like ground beef, ground Turkey, they'll buy the fattiest ones and then they'll just drain all the fat and it's the leanest one. 
I never feel good either if I just were to cook a bunch of ground beef and eat the fat like that's drained in there, like eat mm-hmm. it like soup. Like I think I would get really <laughs> sick and nauseous and not feel good if I did that. Yeah. Yeah. I think a lot of people don't do well with rendered fat, but you know, the gut health person in yes. me will say you need to work on the gut, but okay. Okay. So. Let's start healing me. What test am I taking? <laughs> okay. okay. So moving on, Um, you know, so you've been carnivore for like three years ish, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So what has changed from, you know, like whether it was even following uh, rules or um, playing by some rules or like the foods, the fasting, you know, what has changed in this three year journey for you? And what, you know, if someone was starting new today, what are some like hiccups you've learned across the time that you would say that you could tell your, you know, your old self when first starting? I will say that I have been I am not somebody who's taken a lot of left turns in the last three years. I feel like I've had a very consistent arc where I am definitely not in the same place that I was in three years ago, but it was a gradual process to get me here, right? I started with keto and then went on this arc into cutting out all the processed foods. And then I started cutting out all the keto foods and all the plant foods that ended up on carnivore. At some point on the top of this arc, I got down to like beef only and lots of fasting and exercise and one meal a day and super hectic exercise. And that was like the height of my arc of super strict beef, salt water, lots of fasting, one meal a day exercise. And then now I've kind of since then, I've just been all this way back down on a different arc, kind of coming back down again where... Uh, I probably should go back up the arc on the exercise arc a little bit because I'm off that completely and I'm probably the laziest carnivore that's out there. But I also, um, over time, you know, I was somebody who came from a background of eating a pizza and a full pizza and a pint of ice cream so I could eat so much. Well, over time, it's been three years since I've done that. I can't eat as much at one time anymore. And so, you know, the fasting tapered off. I, I, have been switching to two meals a day over the last few months. Um, I still incorporate like my 48 hour fast for the last three years. I would say averaged out. I've done one 48 hour fast a week, every week for the last three years, right? Sometimes more than one. Sometimes I took a break, but if you stretch that out over the last three years and that's still a part of it. So I think that it's been a very cool transition. I eat a lot of other meats now, as I switched to two meals a day, I started adding in other meats, you know, I eat some chicken occasionally. I eat a lot of bacon. Um, I eat some pork belly eggs, more eggs now than I used to shrimp, but it still is all very the same. And it's all been very gradual of like what's working, making some small changes. Um, and that's my biggest suggestion to people who are starting out, or if you're having problems, like make small changes, make gradual changes, like stop with all the crazy left-hand turns. Um, you know, if something's not working for you, like add a second meal in for a little while, try a 30 hour fast once, like try these little things. Try. I am not somebody who does well with big drastic measures. Um, I mean, I need restriction, right? That's okay. That's the counter to that. I need restriction. I can't be a moderation person, but I also can't give up everything that I have in life and everything that I feel like is my, like food wise at one time. I am somebody that has to have one non-negotiable thing. And that non-negotiable is like, I eat carnivore or whatever that looks like for me. And other things are a nice to have like fasting or no cheese or 
um, no diet soda a lot of times, to be honest, over the last three years. Like those are all the nice to haves. My goal would be not to do those. But let's be honest, those things I'm probably going to slip on, slip up on at some point, And that's okay. But the non-negotiable stays the same. I can't give myself five non-negotiables. Super strict fasting, super hard exercise, super strict this, no sweeteners ever, no this. Like if I give myself too many non-negotiables, I just say, screw it and go back to all of them at the same time. Sure. I have to pick the one thing that's my most important thing and everything else then I feel like I can, I don't feel like a failure if I slip up on those, but I just always center back to going back to that one non-negotiable thing. Yeah. And that makes sense. Many people have to gradually get there. So I know for me, if I started with diet soda in the beginning, um, that would just break into me wanting everything, right? But now maybe we're at a point where we can have diet soda if we wanted to. And it's okay, right? It's not going to take off all the wheels and make us go crazy. But I think people have to get there, though. In the beginning, that was what I needed to get off of everything that I had. Been. And I'm, this is, I'm like the worst strict carnivore for saying this, but if you need, I needed it for the first year. Let's be real. I kept Diet Coke in for a, a longer than I care to admit because of the fact that I felt like I was giving up everything else. And if drinking a diet soda is not great for you, but if you know what, if that helped me to not eat a pint of ice cream at night while I was watching TV, like I was used to doing, like that worked for me in the beginning. That was the bridge that I needed to get me through to the other side. Obviously it's not good and not sustainable and you have to eventually get to a place where you can cut that out, but it's, it's what I needed to be able to, um, to kind of push through and feel like I was giving up everything else. There are other people who would give you the exact opposite advice saying you have to cut out everything completely from the beginning. And that might work for some people too, but I think there are other ways that don't make you a failure. When you did beef only, do you feel like it's more beneficial than the way you eat now or does it, did it not matter? For me, because I'm not somebody who's struggling with autoimmune issues or a lot of mood issues, which I do know, I hear stories that beef only helps those things tremendously. I really haven't noticed much of a difference. Um, I do notice that af after a few days of not eating beef that I just don't feel as satisfied. My cravings might increase a little bit or I might just feel a little sluggish. So, you know, I was traveling recently and I ate a bunch of chicken and I ate like I made a chicken salad, which was carnivore, but a little dirtier. And I cooked a chicken casserole for somebody and I ate some of that, which had a lot of other ingredients in it, you know, cream cheese and, and bacon and all kinds of stuff. So I do find that if I don't eat beef daily, I just don't, I lose my taste for it, I guess, in a lot of ways. You get to that point where like nothing really sounds good anymore. And to me, that lets me know, like, maybe I'm just being a little too, for adding too much variety into my diet almost. Right. If I'm eating ribeyes every day, all I want is ribeyes every day. If I'm eating a whole bunch of variety, then I get to a point where like nothing really sounds good anymore and a good little fast for a day or two. Then I go back to my ribeyes for a little while. So do you think there's a difference in weight? So if you just eat beef only versus like a variety, at least in your situation? Me, yes, because if I'm adding variety in, then I tend to be adding in cheese and probably some more like pepperonis or other things that are not helping my weight. So I actually do keep my weight down when I'm doing beef only, mainly because I find that I snack less. But that's more just because of me, not because of I think the beef. I find fasting easier when I'm doing just beef. 
you know, if I'm eating chicken, I don't really want chicken plain. So even though chicken's leaner, I end up eating like chicken and some cheese and some sauce or something else to go with it that ends up triggering some other things. So I keep my weight down when I do beef, but that's only because I cut out everything else that I tend to overeat on. And I usually increase my fasting as well. Um, but I think if people are just trying to eat as much beef as they can all the time, like I definitely would gain weight doing that, but it's easier for me to regulate my fasting when I'm doing more strict. So as we wrap up, if I were to give you sort of like the fortune telling a sort of, I don't know, magic wand, where would you like to see the carnivore community and maybe not even just carnivore community, but society as a whole and a meat-based diet? Like what, what would you love to see? I think I, more than anything, I think about my kids when I think of that question. And I think about the fact that like, we have to stop normalizing snacks and we have to stop normalizing the need for you know, carbs for energy. And I wish that we as a community could help to spread that message more outwardly uh, and not necessarily spend so much time arguing about the nuances of how this diet is done and realize that we all have this really amazing healing message that can be shared with everybody about the fact that like eating animal products can be healing and we can heal things like insulin resistance and obesity and diabetes and all these things that today more than ever are extremely important uh, and are a huge problem for a lot of people. And so as we look at our next generation, you know, childhood obesity is on the rise. And I think our community has this amazing ability to make an impact on that if we can be aware of what laws are being passed, stop normalizing snacks. Like we go to church this morning and why do kids who are in church Sunday school for one hour, why do they need a snack? Like stop normalizing food rewards for kids at school. You know, talk to your teachers, talk to the parents like, Hey guys, can we do a non birthday treat for everybody this year? Like, I think we have to stop making excuses as to why those things are okay. Because all that's doing is setting up our next generation for the same failures that we have had as far as health and obesity, because we're normalizing this instant gratification mentality. And so our community can make a big impact on that if we can just all focus on that message of people need meat and less of everything else and stop worrying about the nuances within it. Yeah, I think that's really good. I I just hope our community, instead of, like you said, bickering about little nuances, instead becomes more of a cohesive community so that the bigger picture, the bigger community, that we can heal more people in such an easy way by eating a meat-based diet and uh, knowing truths about it instead of arguing over random small things that in the bigger picture does not matter. Well, thank you for sharing and being so open. I've learned a lot more about you as much as we've been friends for several years. Like these are random things that I didn't actually know about. So it's good. Um, thank you for you know being open and sharing. Um, and I guess we'll just kind of end the conversation here. But Laura, is there anything you just want to wrap up, you know, put a bow tie on this conversation? Is there anything you want to do a dance, do a joke? I don't know. <laughs> I'll do a little improv. Ask me. Let's play the question game. Let's see some Saturday Night Live games. Um, overall, I think that more than anything, just be aware of what we're consuming. I think find a support system more than anything. That's my encouragement to all of you out there is just to find that support system and, um, 
you know, take things, I say this all the time and I tell this to myself still, take things one day at a time. Like what's your plan for tomorrow? Sit down whenever you're listening to this, what's your plan for tomorrow? How are you going to avoid temptations? What are you going to do to set up yourself up for success tomorrow and just make things a daily habit for now and, and worry about forever later. Great way to end it. Okay, guys. Um, so we are going to end it now. Thanks again for joining us on the Cutting Against the Grain podcast. We will talk to you guys next week. Bye. Thanks for tuning in to the Cutting Against the Grain podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please make sure to subscribe and leave us a review on iTunes. This will help us to reach more people and share real talk with our communities. And if you know somebody that needs to hear this podcast, please make sure to share and tag us on social media. Have a good week, guys, and make sure to tune in next week for a brand new episode. And remember, make sure to cut against the grain. Thanks for tuning in to the Cutting Against the Grain podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please make sure to share and leave us a review and leave any comments and questions on Apple Podcasts. We will read and answer your questions and comments on an upcoming podcast episode. This also helps us to share our real talk with more community members. You can also find me on my other podcast, Nutrition with Judy, on all podcast channels. You can also follow my content on Nutrition with Judy's Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter. You can find Carnivore Cure in paperback, ebook, and audio on Amazon. I also have a blog post and weekly newsletter with nutrition and wellness updates. You can sign up at nutritionwithjudy.com. You can find Laura on Instagram at Laura East Bath. You can follow along on her daily stories and see some of her funny skits. You can also find Laura on her YouTube channel where she shares tips on living a meat-based lifestyle. If you're wondering how much meat to eat in a day, week, or month, Laura has you covered. She also shares how to make a perfect sear on a steak and how extended fasting looks like in real life. You can find her YouTube channel by searching Laura's Bath. Thanks again for listening to the Cutting Against the Grain podcast. And remember, make sure to cut against the grain. <laughs>